and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So far our text. Please be seated. Grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Jesus says, this is what a pastor, what a preacher is to preach. The kingdom of God has come near to you. For the last couple of years, we've all learned a new phrase. And that phrase is social distancing. It's an oxymoron if you have ever heard one. To be social is to be close. To be distant is to be far away. It is impossible to be social and distant. For the longest time, everybody was wild about social distancing. You know, the X's on the, line, on the floor at the post office or the grocery store. Tape on every other pew. Don't sit too close. Social distancing became the norm. Or should we say, the new norm. Have you noticed recently, people don't talk about it much anymore? You wonder why? Well, because there was no science behind it. Somebody came up with an idea. We were in the midst of a pandemic. You want to do something. You want to try to do something. And so, social distancing was invented. Some places it was 10 feet. Some places it was 6 feet. Other places it was 3 feet. Now all the experts come out and say, it just doesn't matter. So, here we are, having been introduced to and experimented on with social distancing, we come to a phrase in God's Word, Luke 10, verse 9. Jesus is teaching pastors what they should preach, and by extension, what hearers should be listening for, what hearers should demand from their preachers. And what is the content of this message? Well, it's not social distancing. Our God is not a distant God. It's just the opposite. The kingdom of God has come near to you. You may want to be distant from Him, but it won't matter. God has come near to you. This is a part of the makeup of God. This is a part of the gospel that we cherish. 
There are some that teach that God is far away. He is stuck in heaven. And that you have to somehow ascend to him. You have to ascend to him with your thoughts. You have to ascend to him with your prayers, asking him into your heart. You have to go to God because God can't come to you. He's stuck in heaven. There are some that would teach that what goes on in the waters of holy baptism is our work to God. Our obedience. Our pledges. Our something. Denying God's clear word that He comes to us in the waters of holy baptism. Recreating, regenerating our sinful heart. And perhaps the biggest abuse of all is right here on the altar. There are some who would say that that's only bread and wine. We're doing a, a kind of a, a memory thing where we think back. And that's all we do. Because Jesus is stuck at the right hand of God. And He can't be at this altar and at the altar down the street and at the altar on the other end of the state and at the altar at the other end of the world at the same time. God just can't do it. Well, my friends, God cannot lie. We heard that in our second reading. And in the truth from the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, the content of preaching for both preacher and hearer is very simple. The kingdom of God has come near to you. What does that mean? Does that mean like, like a throne room? Like this kingdom throne room is, is like floating down into earth? Yeah, pretty much so. Revelation 21 gives us that word picture. The kingdom of God is Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, the second person of the Trinity. The kingdom of God takes on flesh and blood and dwells among us. Well, it's a pretty good trick. Pretty neat if you can pull it off. But it's not the pulling it off that is important for us. Jesus comes to earth, comes near to us. So near that he takes on our own flesh and blood. He comes near to us. We confess that in the incarnation. We celebrate it at Christmas. God in the flesh for us. We sing about it all through Epiphany. God in flesh made manifest. God, the kingdom of God, Jesus, takes on flesh and blood for us and for our salvation. 
Jesus, God in the flesh, places himself under the Ten Commandments. God's holy law. The law which crushes us. The law which condemns us. The law which drives us to our knees, begging and pleading for mercy. That's exactly what God gives us. Mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve, hell. Instead, He gives us what we don't deserve, grace. Jesus takes on the sin of the world. We talk about that all the time. When we talk about how Jesus takes the sin of the world into himself and onto himself, we mean he takes your sin. He takes my sin. He takes your big sin. He takes your little sin. He takes your secret sin. He takes your sin against the Ten Commandments. He takes your sin against the Word of God. He takes your sin. He takes the hit. He takes the punishment that we deserve for all of our false idols. He takes the punishment that we deserve for all of our false words, for all of our inactions according to the Word of God, and for all of our actions contrary to the Word of God. He takes our sin, He takes your sin, into Himself, onto Himself. He doesn't do it from afar away, He comes to us in the Garden of Gethsemane, being burdened with the sin of the world, all sin for all people for all time, crushed by that weight of sin. He sweats great drops of blood, so great is His anguish over our sin. And yet He bears that sin freely, willingly, out of love and devotion to His Father, of course. Out of love and devotion for you. Jesus dies the death we deserve. His stone-cold body is placed in a new tomb. But Jesus doesn't stay dead. He can't. The Son of God cannot be defeated by something as paltry as death. Jesus, God in the flesh, rises from the dead, putting an exclamation point on everything that He said and everything that He did. The kingdom of God is near to you. Look at my hands. See the nail scars. Look at my feet. Put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. For 40 days, Jesus gave many convincing proofs that He was indeed alive. Not a ghost, not a mirage, not an idea, 
but God in the flesh alive. He preached to individuals. He preached to small groups. He preached to one huge group. And after 40 days, so there could be no doubt that Jesus was dead and now alive after 40 days. Jesus, physically, bodily, God in the flesh, ascended to heaven. To the right hand of God as we confess in the creeds. It's not a place. It's a theology. He ascended to the power of God the Father. Ephesians tells us that He ascended so that He could fill all things with His power and glory and majesty and might. And as He fills all things, He looks at each one of us. And He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I will not be distant from you. I will be near you. I will be close to you. How? Wherever my word is taught in its truth and purity, there I am. Wherever my sacraments, the gifts of God, are administered according to the pledge, promise, and command of God, there I am. Whenever you hear my instrument, your pastor, speak the words of absolution to you, there I am, loving you, embracing you, with the forgiveness of sins. And then he tells the church, don't be afraid. Don't worry about numbers. For wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. My friends, the world is a crazy place. The next two years may be even crazier than the last two years. We don't know. There may be all kinds of wonderful ideas about how to avoid certain things or to live forever. Whatever the message is of the world, take it with a grain of salt. And remember, God cannot lie. God cannot make a mistake. God in his love and truth and wisdom has given you Jesus. The very real presence of Jesus. He will never distance himself from you. In fact, he is with you always even to the end of the age. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, our lives, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.